my wife and I are from originally born and raised in, in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, when we were first married, uh, I think we'd been married just a couple of years. And, um, and my mother and father-in-law, they were changing out vehicles. They had had this big old hunking Suburban. And, uh, you know, it was, I'll never forget this vehicle. It was maroon. It was huge. And, uh, and they decided that they were going to pass that down to us. And so Jamie and I ended up with this, uh, this huge Suburban. It was such a blessing. And, you know, you, some of you guys drive them. You know, they get like five miles to the gallon. And so, and so, but, you know, on the road, you are a tank. I always love you soccer moms when you decide to switch lanes in your Suburban. We know. Get out your way because you don't even look. You just keep on coming. And I told Jamie that. She's like, I, there's so many blind spots. I was like, baby, they'll get out your way. Don't worry about it. And so... And so, you know, we had this Suburban, and, and Cohen had, was born, and, and, and so it was so cool to put him in the back seat in his little, in his little car carrier, car seat thing, you know, because you knew no matter what, whatever we hit, we were going to survive it, you know, we are going to be okay. And, uh, and so uh, this particular evening, we were on what's called Airline Highway, and Airline Highway is a, it's a major thoroughfare in, uh, in the city of Baton Rouge. It's, it's a boulevard something similar to New Clark out where there are the, two, you know, two lanes, uh, four lanes uh, separated by a median you know two lanes in in each direction and and so uh this particular evening um it was right about dusk and uh, you know when it gets dusk and the sun's going down and going going down and it's in your eyes and uh and the street lights have already started coming on and the and the headlights on the cars are already on and so i'm driving uh us and it's about a 45 mile an hour zone and in those days uh it was i was living in louisiana so i actually did the speed limit until i moved here and realized if you do the speed limit you die so you have to go faster than everybody else to survive and so, I know, and so we, I was probably doing about 45, and Jamie and I were talking. We were on our way home from something, and Cohen was in the back seat. And as, as I looked ahead of us, on the opposite side of traffic, um, looked like there was some kind of commotion. But again, the, 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 the sun had gone down. The, the streetlights were coming on. The headlights on the cars were coming on or were on. And, uh, and so it was more like imagery. You couldn't really make out what, exactly what it was. But I, had a, a, I could, could tell either there had been a fender bender or a, star, a stalled car or something. It looked as though people were getting out of their cars. Uh, probably four or five, six of them, and we're kind of in that median area uh, era. And so, as I as I noticed it, I let up off the gas. And if you have ever driven one of those big vehicles, you don't just stop them, right? You know, it's like a uh, it's like a train. You plan to stop way in advance. And so, so I let up off the gas because I'm in that lane closest to the median. And uh, and I, as I got closer and closer, uh, I recognized that there were people there. And so. Um, and so right as I got up on them, there was about a five-year-old little boy that was about that big. And, and, and I noticed uh, as, as I'm watching the road and watching them that somebody pointed across the street, across traffic to let's go over there. And that little boy just heard them and he immediately turned and ran out in front of me. I was probably 10 feet from him as he was fully in front of me. I had no time to even hit my brakes. In that moment, I knew that I had killed this kid. At the last second, I don't know if it was an angel that guided this lady. I don't know if it was just beer, you know, just sheer bare mama strength or what. That mama saw that baby and she grabbed a hold to him with his arm. And as I got right within inches of him, jerked him back. That kid was like this. And so when she grabbed him, he was full spread eagle as she's pulling him through the air in front of my vehicle. Inch, uh, inches away from me. I'm driving. And there is no way to stop. And in that moment, as we went flying past that child, I guarantee you his fingernails scratched the side of our paint. 
I had my life flash in front of my eyes in that moment. I didn't, even, I didn't hit my brakes until three or four feet past the entire, that entire moment, that spot right there. In that moment, I saw, I mean, it's amazing what your mind can do. I saw that dead child in the grill of my vehicle. I saw his body parts in my mind explode and go everywhere. I felt the deep depression come over me that I was going to have to start living in because I, unfortunately, accidentally, nonetheless, not for any circumstance that I created, but that I had killed a child. That began to play in my mind. I mean, it was like a flash, like a download, in a, not even in a millisecond. The life that I, my life that now has changed as I become a person who's killed a child right there in front of their family, just inches away from mom and dad and probably grandparents, whoever was standing there. In this moment, I felt the life sucked out of me because of this tragedy. I, I felt as though I, I would have to quit the ministry. I joined the ministry to help people and now I have killed a child, nonetheless, accidentally. But these imagery began to play out in my mind, in my heart. And I felt myself, the wind of life, suck out of me in a brief second. It's just gone. Saw the newspaper articles about the pastor who killed this child. I saw the depression as I sat across my senior pastor's desk and had to say I can't be in the ministry anymore I'm undone not being able to come out of my house and talk to people and reporters wanting to discuss it with me I saw all those things flash in front of my, my, my mind and as I got four five six feet past this child and he did not die and I did not hit him I don't know where it came from but it was the depths of who I was began to shout thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And we had a 15-minute ride home, and I don't think I stopped saying thank you, Jesus, until I passed out that night. Thank you, Je thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Friend, I want you to know something. We're just days away from Thanksgiving, but I'm telling you, each and every one of us in this room have a thank you, Jesus, inside of us. Something that God has held back, something that God has done on our behalf, things that have transpired that you didn't have any control of, but God intervened on your have saved your life there are some of you you were in cars late at night going way too fast in a drunken stupor and you're still alive today but for Jesus come on somebody there's a, those of us that our trajectory should have went this way but he pushed it that way and if it wasn't for him we wouldn't be standing here or sitting here today so we all ought to give out a quick shout of thank you Jesus and that's the title of my message today thank you Jesus our key scripture is Psalms 107.1 1071, if you'll turn there quickly or see it on the screens, it says it like this. But give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. If you didn't know how much he loved you, if you didn't know how much that uh, his love is forever enduring for you, go back and listen to last week's message. It'll change your life with an everlasting love. He says that he has loved us. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Frank, can I tell you something? With Thanksgiving just days away, you and I need to come back to remembrance of all the good things he's done. Because God has been good. He has been kind and gracious to you and me. Father, I pray that over the next couple moments, as I share your word with these, your servants, that, Lord God, that you could use me, that I could be a tool in your hand, Lord God, to, to, put, to, to strip away some of those old cold, callous places of our life. Lord God, to bring us back to a place of gratefulness and gratitude. Lord God, to help us remember that you are good and that you are good for generations to generations and that we should be forever grateful. And out of our mouth on a daily basis should come those words, thank you, Jesus. We should be constantly reminded 
reminded of how gracious you've been. And we should be constantly showing that gratitude back to the one who saved our souls. And so for the next couple moments, oh God, may we, Lord God, be rearranged in our thinking. And all the stuff we're busy at and the businesses we're trying to get up off the ground. And the families that we're trying to hold together. And the houses that we're trying to keep from falling apart. May we pause this moment and be reminded that you are good. And may we become back to that place of gratitude. And may we be men and women that they hear all around the nation. They hear us in Walmart. They hear us in our cubicle saying, thank you, Jesus. Because we are glad with sincere hearts for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody shouted amen and amen. About a year and a half after this moment, this incident, I'm sitting across my desk from a man who's come in for counseling. His son, who is about my age, is one of the youth leaders in our youth ministry. This man is old enough to be my father, and he has been our local postman. He worked for the postal service. And this man sits across from me without the ability to even communicate what the problem is. I know what the problem is because it's become a, a citywide circumstance that it's made the news media. It's become a, a pretty big deal. And he sits there as I try to get him to talk, and he can't. He's been hiding in his home for weeks. He's lost his job. What had happened just a month or two earlier is he was coming around the corner in his postal truck and a young boy on a bicycle rode out in front of him. Without the ability to see him in time, he hit that kid and killed him. And this man is sitting across from me and it seemed like 15, 20 minutes before he could even get his arms and his mind around the words. And he started trying to express and explain. And he just kept being so sad. And, he, and all that he had lost, his job that he had lost, his, his confidence that he lost, the, 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 the depression that he was in because he took another person's life. Accidentally, nonetheless. With no, nothing he could have done differently, nonetheless. But all the same, the difficulty and the change that it brought to his family and the, and the weeping and the crying and the, and the inability to, to make it go away. And he's sitting with me hoping that I can give him some kind of hope. And as, as he shares and he begins to open up and tell me the moment and the kid's face as his eyes met the kid's eyes. And the, and the inability to bring him back to life and doing CPR on this child. And standing there as the EMS shows up and then the parents show up. And the guilt to having to look those parents in the face and, and, and say it was me. I didn't mean to. It was an accident. As he shared all these things, I promise you, is God is my witness. I didn't mean for it to happen but deep inside of me I was brought to that moment some year and a half earlier where I was driving that suburban and almost killed that kid and friend I can't tell you what happened or where it came from but inside of me all I know is I started saying thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Oh, God, I know what he's going through is so tragic, and I hate to be selfish, but God, I don't know if I'm strong enough to go through what this Christian man is going through right now. Thank you, Jesus. Friend, can I tell you something? Each and every one of us in this room has some thank you, Jesus moments that we need to be grateful for. Each and every one of us, he sustained us in times we couldn't be sustained. Friend, let me tell you something. Some of you in this room, you should be sitting in prison right now, and if that's you, you ought to shout thank you, Jesus, right now because he delivered you. Some of you, if God hadn't delivered you from that relationship, you would have been destroyed. Somebody to shout, thank you, Jesus. And some of you in this room, you don't have a job that you deserve. You got a job you don't deserve, and that's all because of Jesus. Let me hear you say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. 
Some of you in this room, if it wasn't for God, that depression would have drove you to a place of suicide. But God intervened and changed your life. Somebody will shout, thank you, Jesus, right here and now. If it wasn't for Jesus, some of you in this room, that addiction would have destroyed you. But, oh, thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through your veins, giving you power to overcome it. Somebody ought to shout, thank you, Jesus, right now. I'll tell you right now, if God didn't do it, you wouldn't have been able to do it. But some of you got a roof over your head, and you ought to say, thank you, Jesus. Some of you got shoes on your feet that ought to say, thank you, Jesus. Some of you need to understand that the breath that's in your lungs came from him, and it should cause you to say, thank you, Jesus. He's been good to us. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. You know, we're about to celebrate Thanksgiving. It seems to be the holiday that the media and the wickedness of our world wants to do away with. And the reason why is because it wasn't born in a dark room somewhere. It wasn't organized by a bunch of folks trying to make money off of everybody. See, Thanksgiving started, in case you needed a memory lesson, in case you don't go to elementary school anymore. Thanksgiving, our first Thanksgiving is kind of pinpointed at the year 1621. In 1620, the pilgrims set sail on the Mayflower to come to the free land, as it was being called. Colonies were trying to set up, and this particular group of pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock, as some of you know your history. But it was the winter time. The wilderness was vast. Obviously, the snowy, icy conditions were unfit for them to try to carve out a little place to live, and so most they all stayed on the boat. They wintered the, uh, there on the, on, on the ship, and half of them died. Half of the people who made the journey died. Half of the crew, half of the pilgrims died there on that boat from scurvy and sickness and disease, from frostbite, whatever the case may be, from hunger because they ran through their food. They thought by then they would already be set up. Took them longer to cross the ocean than they thought. And then they decided once the winter came to an end there and towards the end of 1620, they decided, all right, we've got to get on land and we've got to carve out a place to live and build our homes. They started into the process of that and immediately found out that they had not the ability to grow crops. They didn't have ability to actually sustain themselves with food for, for a group their size. And they were on the brink of total destruction, having already lost half of their group. Half of their group lay dead in the graves that they had dug right there at Plymouth Rock. Oh, but then God sent an Indian, a Native American, sent this, this Native American who probably by all sense of the word should never try to help them at all. They call him Squanto. Now, Squanto, years earlier, had been kidnapped and sold into slavery by, Eng by English pirates there that came to the States. They sold him into slavery there in England, and he served as a slave. There he learned English, and he learned the ways of the English. He was able to escape from his captors, got aboard a ship, and made it back to his homeland, to his Pinoe, Pinocchi or something like that tribe. And had been back for years when all of a sudden here comes some English people to his area. Probably if it had been the rest of us, we'd have found them dead at the tip of our spear or at the end of our arrows. But for whatever reason, and I believe it's because Squanto had met Jesus in his process of learning English, and as a result, he decided he would help these struggling English people who came to just carve out a land where they could worship freely, where the king did not control them, but they could worship the God that they wanted to serve with all of their heart. And with that, he taught them to fish. He taught them to plant Indian corn and not the English corn. And it was then, in 1621, 
at the end of the harvest season that they were able to produce their first group set of corn and harvest it. And it was with that in November 1621 that the then, quote, governor or mayor of their little tribal group that they had developed called together the local Indian tribe that had befriended them, Squanto in the middle of them, and they celebrated, if you will, the first Thanksgiving. And let me tell you why they were celebrating. Because they knew that had it not been for Squanto, they would all be dead. Because they knew as they looked at all the graves from all their friends and children and, and moms and dads that had died, they knew that were it not for the grace of this Squanto, so go they. They knew that Jesus had intervened. So they called it Thanksgiving. Why? Because to God we give thanks for saving our lives and giving us an opportunity to live and to survive. So when you sit across the table and eating your turkey, there was no turkey at this first Thanksgiving in 1621. They didn't have any turkey. There was no there was no jam or anything like that because they'd been way out of sugar by then. As you sit there and you eat your turkey and you sit there and stuff your face full of ham and you talk all about your other relatives, how bad they are and how you knew they weren't going to come anyway... Frank, could you maybe just pause a moment and remember that were it not for grace, so go I. And maybe sitting there at that Thanksgiving table or maybe somewhere at the office this week before you go on vacation, maybe you could start remembering how great God has been. And maybe you could yell out a little bit of, thank you, Jesus, because he's been good to you and me. Isn't that good? Say yes. I want to study a passage of scripture today. I want to study it, Luke chapter 18 and verse 35. We're going to derive some truth. As we see the blind man and his healing. And we see how Jesus did a miracle in this man's life. And we see his response. Luke chapter 18 verse 35. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him. And told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. Son of David. Have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. And ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near. Jesus asked him. What do you want me to do for you? Lord I want to see. He replied. And Jesus said to him. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. And followed Jesus. And look what it says. What does it say? Praising God. When all the people saw it. What did they do? They begin to praise God also. So let me kind of put this in perspective for you. This man is blind and begging. So, in other words, he's not a rich blind guy. He obviously doesn't have family that's taking care of him. He's that guy at the red light when you're there at that intersection with the little cardboard sign that says, need money, need food, we will work for food. He's that guy, but he doesn't just, he's not just poor and begging, he's blind. He doesn't have a lot of ability to pull himself out of the situation. There is no, there is no, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, financial help for blind people. There are, there is no uh, insurance that'll take him on. There is no uh, a home for the blind people that he could go and live in. This man is on his own. Now, whether he was born blind, that's what I'm assuming, or whether he had some type of accident to where he lost his sight. But nonetheless, he finds himself a beggar, a beggar. Please help me. Please give me some money. Probably has the little can, you know, like you see in all the old English food films. Alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. Probably has something like that going. He's got some little racket that he's worked up, you know, some little song in a dance to get your attention, you know. 
something to kind of get you going and so you'll give him attention and hoping to get some money from you or something like that and he's begging which is what he's done every day for the most for probably the majority of his existence and in this moment something is different because when you lose your sight what happens is you become a little bit more sensitive when your other senses you begin to probably hear what other people don't hear and somewhere in the normal crowd that's moving up and down the particular road and you know he was on a busy road so he could get closer to more people for more opportunities opportunity for someone to give him something and so as a result there's a little bit more uh you know upheaval a little bit more movement and so he begins to ask someone what's going on what's happening and they said to him and i want you to pay attention it says and they said to him we'll come back to that jesus of nazareth is passing by the moment they said jesus of nazareth is passing by something shifted in him something shifted in this man all of a sudden this man all of a sudden had faith All of a sudden, in this moment, as Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, this man recognized that this is not any ordinary man. He's not the average celebrity that comes down this road. He's more than the the, the Caesar that might be coming by. He's greater than the local rabbi. He's beyond the local, you know, uh, YouTube sensation. This is Jesus, the Messiah. And his response is to start shouting, Jesus! Jesus! He starts saying, Jesus, help me! Frank, can I tell you something? When your desperation exceeds your fear of what people think, something supernatural will start happening for you. The reason why some of you are never experiencing anything is because you're so worried about what everybody thinks and you don't want to be embarrassed and you don't want to be humiliated. But this man was so desperate. Why? Because he's a beggar. He could work if he only had his sight. He would do for himself if he just had the ability to do it. He wasn't like everybody else. He couldn't see. And so he couldn't work in a generation that worked with their hands and did the, uh, the, the work of the field and worked with animals. He couldn't do that. And so as a result, he's limited to being a beggar on the goodness of other people is how he survived and in this moment he starts shouting Jesus Jesus son of David help me and in that moment all the people in charge come running over to him they said what's the matter buddy and he says I'm blind and I know that if I can get to Jesus that he'll heal me and they said sir this is why he's on the planet this is why we brought him to town let's go over to him and we know he'll lay hands on you is that what happened that's not at all what happened They say, you're going to interrupt the master. We have a protocol here, a right way of doing things. Do not shout out again. And so you know what he did? He said, okay, I won't do it. Is that what he did? He said, "Mm." Jesus! The Bible says that he shouted even louder. You know why? Because he wasn't about to let them be his obstacle from his supernatural healing. In this moment, he starts shouting louder and louder, Jesus, Jesus. You know, he's bumping in there, Jesus. Oh, sorry, bro. Jesus. I mean, he's bumping into things. He's yelling. He's screaming. And the Bible says that Jesus stopped in order that he be brought to him. Amen. The whole fanfare, he pushed all the paparazzis back to get away. Stop. Stop texting. Bring him to me. And they bring him to him. And then Jesus looks at him, and this is what he says to him. Verse 41, what do you want me to do for you? Think about that for just a moment. There's a blind man who's begging, and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? 
That would be like being a police officer called for a domestic violence. Shows up at the house. The man's face is bloody and bleeding because his wife done whooped the fool out of him. And asking him, sir, what do you want me to do? (laughs) I want you to make her stop beating me. Put her in jail. That's what he's going to say. Right? Like, that's a stupid question. Jesus asking, what do you want me to do for you? The reason why it's so critical is because faith can't be started until you answer your own question of what you have need of. And most of us never ask the Lord for any help, and that's why we never receive any help. So Jesus wants to hear it out of his own mouth. What do you want me to do for you? You've got my attention. What do you want me to do for you? And look at his response. He says, he says uh, Lord, I want to see. I don't need a bunch of words. Don't have to explain it. I just want to see. And then the Lord responds with this. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. And look what it says he was doing. Praising God. A lot of people skip over those last two words. Praising God. He gets a miracle and his response is a thank you, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. I mean, he is losing his Why? Because once I was blind, but now I see. So he can't stop it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So much so that what does his thank you, Jesus moment do to everybody else in the crowd? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And the whole place starts thank you, Jesus. Why? Because in that moment, they recognize that he is good. In that moment. It says, what, what was our key scripture? Come on, you remember? What is it? How does it? I don't even remember all of a sudden. It says, give thanks to the Lord. <laughs> give thanks to the Lord. It's my second service. Give me a break. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. In that moment, they recognize, wait a minute, his love does endure forever. He is good. He does love. So I want to give you a couple miracle lessons that we can learn from this blind man. The miracle lessons that we can learn from this blind man, because I believe some of you are not, I believe some of you are not gratified, excuse me, are not showing your, how happy you are back to the Lord because you're still in the battle and you haven't had your miracle yet. I think you're so caught up in trying to break through that you're not showing any gratitude for where you're at. And I know that if you got a miracle, something would shift. I think this man was probably a good man. I bet he was pretty good at, you know, being grateful for what had happened in his life. But I tell you, once he got healed, once he received a miracle, he he couldn't stop it. So much so that it became contagious to everyone around. So let's look at a couple things. Here's the first thing that you and I can learn from this blind man. And that is, if you want to get a miracle, you need to start crying out to Jesus. You need to cry out to Jesus. You say, well, duh. No, no, it's not duh. Some of you are so prideful that you think in and of your own strength you can fix your problem. You never asked the Lord for help. You've never once asked him to help you love that person that you feel like has done you wrong. If I were to ask you in a counseling, why don't you just, why don't you just forgive them? You say, when they start, when they come to me and they do this, then I will forgive them. And I will tell them, see, you are trying to be the king of your own life or the queen of your own life. But when you cry out to the Lord to help you love the unlovable, And forgive the unforgivable. That's when the miracle starts. He begins to cry out. Jesus. Why? Because he didn't have any pride left. 
That's the problem with Americans. We don't see miracles here because we're too arrogant. We think we can fix it if we work harder. We think we can throw money at it. We think that we can throw, we can throw um, an organizational chart at it and it'll fix it. Friend, at the end of the day, you and I, I pray we never get so desperate that we have to cry out because we're on the side of the road begging, blind, and beaten. Oh, may you and I cry out to the Lord from the very beginning. Listen, here's some. Listen, you need to cry out to the Lord. Stop crying out on social media. We're tired of hearing about it. Seriously. Listen, some of you are addicted to counseling. You want to counsel with everybody. Why? Because all you want to do is cry out about your problem. But you've you've never taken it to the Lord. You want to meet with the pastors. You want to meet with me. Pastor, if I could just meet with you, I know you think, what I'm going to do? I cannot make you see again. I cannot heal you. I can point you to the one. The one, that's the only thing I have the power to do. I'm in the same boat you and I got kids, I'm believing for miracles too. I've got situations if God don't show up, we in trouble. Listen, you and I better learn that there is one. There is only one who can transform our lives, fix the problems that are at hand, bring about miracles when no one else can bring them. His name is Jesus and you and I better learn to call upon that name, the name that's above every name. Oh, I'm okay with counsel. It's good. You need to get a little extra opinion on it and it's good every now and then to call your friend up. But friend, you constantly throwing up on us because you won't cry out to Jesus, you keep crying out to us as if we're your savior. I can't save you or fix you, but the one who can. His name is Jesus. And when you humble yourself and start crying out, Jesus, 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 I know he will show up and he will fix every one of those things. But there's got to become a desperation inside of you. The second thing we can learn is that you should not and don't quit just because of a little opposition. Some of you lost your miracle because the moment you got a little bit of opposition, you quit. Shh, don't bother the master. Oh, okay. Jesus! He didn't let their opinion keep him away from the truth that he knew to exist. And that is if I can get the master's attention, I know all I have to do is get close enough to him to tell him what I need. And when I do that, I'm going to tell him with everything I got. And I'm convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt, he can heal me and he will heal me. But we get into a little opposition. Some of you are like, man, it's been so, Pastor, I pray. It's just, it's just so hard. What do you mean it's hard? You only prayed for a week. He ain't done nothing. I like the way the scripture says, you're not resisted to the point of death. Keep standing. Haven't done all to stand? Stand there for. Stay in it. Don't quit just because you get a little opposition. Write this down. This is a statement that will help you. Opposition is an indicator that the opportunity is available. And let it sink. That's for you deep thinkers. Opposition, opposition is an indicator that opportunity is available. If there was no opportunity, there would be no opposition. If Jesus couldn't heal you, nothing would be opposing that. Yeah, go ahead and chase your little false god. Go ahead and just chase that little stupid thing. It don't matter, it's going to come to nothing anyway. But the reason why you get opposition is because there is an opportunity for the supernatural. That's why you got to keep pushing and keep staying the course and keep believing and keep waking up every day and saying, God, you are good. I thank you, Jesus, because I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. I'm yours, and you love me, not because of me, in spite of me. And I'm good, not because I'm good, because you're good. And when God looks at me, he sees you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And you stay the course until... You get the attention of heaven. And heaven says, bring him to me. Bring her to me. Let me look deep into her eyes. And here's the third truth that I've learned. And that is faith is the factor. I don't know when churches stop preaching faith. But dear God, you can't get, other than love, it's the next most mentioned subject in scripture. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
For we must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith. Faith is the critical component. When Jesus looks at him, he didn't say, man, your desperation got you this healing. He didn't look at him and say, you know why you just got healed? Because you met the man. He didn't say that. He said, sir, your faith has healed you. Your faith. Now, I know faith, for many of you, is some obscure principle that you've not completely grasped. But faith is so much more simple than that. Faith is just simply believing that he can and that he will. That he does and that he will for you. That he can for you. That he has ability to do that. Here's the problem with faith. Is that each and every one of us, and you've heard me teach this before, we're made, we have faith and we have unbelief at the same time working. Right? It's true. We have faith and unbelief working at the same time. In fact, we see this happening with this man who comes to Jesus with his epileptic son. He says to him, he says, the demons throw him in the fire, throw him in the water. I tried to get your disciples to get him fixed. They couldn't cast the devil out of him. Jesus looks at him and says, you unbelieving nation. I can't, but how long am I going to deal with you suckers? And he goes, and he goes, uh, and so then he looks at Jesus and says, so if you can heal him, Jesus said, if. What? If. You want to try that again? It's like a Denzel Washington. If. You did the. If, is that right? You know, he did that. You know, Jesus did that to him. And the guy says, I'm so sorry. He says, please help my unbelief. That man recognized, I have unbelief that's standing in the way of the supernatural. See, each and every one of us have faith and unbelief working at the same time. They, they, they're, they're almost counterintuitive, right? They fight against each other. So what you have to learn to do is starve out your unbelief and booster your faith. So how do you do that? Prayer and fasting. That's what Jesus said. This kind comes out by prayer and fasting. He's not talking about demons. Demons come out because we tell them to come out. Demons come out because we tell them, not because we fast. Oh, God. No, no, no. We fast and we pray, and that kills unbelief. Unbelief comes out when we fast and pray. When you walk in faith, there is nothing that is impossible for men and women who walk in faith. That's what the Bible says. You can say this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it'll be cast into, if you have faith, it's a mustard seed. And so the problem with us is that we don't have faith. Well, we do, but we also have faith that's being overwhelmed by our doubt. I'll give you a great example of that in my personal life. So Jamie and I lost uh, three babies to miscarriages. It's a tough time in our life. So as a result, I'm, I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm going down through the word. I'm getting the word uh, over and over and over and over and over again until finally my faith built up to the place. Jamie and I's faith built up to the place. And Mariah came full term, and we were so excited. And when that happened, what it did was it sunk the unbelief in that area of my life, and it boosted the faith. So now when Jamie and I pray for anyone who's having miscarriages or anyone who can't get pregnant, they get healed. There are people who've asked us to pray for them who now have twins all across the nation. I mean, it's unbelievable, like, like a double portion, like warm, 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 warm. Now, if you've got a head cold, you know, a sinus infection, and I pray for you, 50-50 chance. I mean, it, you know, got enough. But if we pray for you in this other area, why? Because we've been through it, right? So what we did was we built faith in that area because we went through it ourselves. So whatever you're going through that you hate right now and you say it ain't fair and it's not right, just know that as you're going through it, you're building up faith. You're building up muscles. So one day what was weak becomes strong and you help everyone around you. Don't you understand? I mean, when it comes to like this, this Indian, Shatazua, whatever his name was, as it comes to him, he was kidnapped inappropriately. He was enslaved inappropriately he had to learn English in the process but God intended for this dude to save the pilgrims everything we go through God uses it for his glory but it takes faith he says your faith has healed you here's the last and final piece that I've learned from this there is no miracle without the they I'm going to break it down but I want you to write it down first there is no miracle without the they When you look back in verse 37, 
It says that he heard something was rustling around, so he asked people in the crowd, what's going on? In verse 37, look at it. It says, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Who's they? Who are these people? How many people stop for a blind beggar and give him their attention? Who's going to even give this guy the time of day to tell him what is transpiring? In this moment, God uses a they. Because if they don't tell him it's Jesus of Nazareth, he doesn't begin to shout and put his faith in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God uses a they. You say, that seems a little obscure. It is, and that's the problem. Most of us are ungrateful for God's movement because we don't recognize that he's used the they's all throughout their life. If it wasn't for a Doc Garlow going to the barn and meeting this little 15-year-old little half-back slidden Baptist girl and telling her that you can have more. There's power of the Holy Spirit and you need to come to my church and dragging her to our church, then Jamie McCain would not have shown up. She wouldn't have got full of the power of God. She wouldn't have married me and she wouldn't be your pastor's wife. All because little dot, the they, the connector pieces to the miracles of our life. The connector pieces to the miracle. And you and I, have been the connector pieces for other people's miracles. Oh, let me tell you something. There are people out there waiting to say, thank you, Jesus. But they're waiting for the theys to show up and say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. The king of glory's here, buddy. He's got something for you, I bet. Don't worry about the other guys who are mean and grumpy. Jesus is here. The they's of life. Everything you've ever experienced that you're grateful for, there's a they connected to it. Think about it. As you look through scripture, you can't find God doesn't move outside of the they's. He always uses somebody. Somebody's gift of love. Somebody's life of sacrifice. Somebody's effort. He uses that. They are the they's in all of our miracles. You look back on it. We were 150 people, couldn't find a building. Couldn't grow a church. Couldn't get anywhere to meet. Meeting in a little Methodist church on Sunday night up the road. Nobody would come to us. None of you guys would come. Sent mailers to your house. You didn't care. One flying flip. Like, who meets on a Sunday night at a Methodist church? We started praying, God, give us a building. We started. We went everywhere. I went to Cassidy Jones. They would, they la- the realtor laughed at me. You only got 150 people. You came by this. I was like, you don't know who I am in Jesus. I did. I told him that Jamie was standing there. I was like, dude, we're going to buy you and everything you own. I did. I was like, I got all crazy with him in faith. We went to, look, we went to the industrial plex and found a little metal beat-up building, tried to buy it. A little old beat-up carpet shop, a little nasty metal. The, the whole lead team was like, okay, pastor, if that's what you want. Well, we got to buy a building. And, man, I'm going to tell you something. We couldn't buy them. We had one bought. They took it right out of our hand. And then, friend, listen to me, two and a half years ago, stay with me, almost three years ago, Destiny Church, phenomenal church. They've gotten a situation and they made a phone call to us and said, do you want our facilities? And we walked in here two and a half years ago, opened up the doors, and we've been growing ever since. God's been blessing. Well, let me tell you something. You need to understand something. I drive past that Cassidy Jones church all the time, I mean building all the time, and I say, thank you, Jesus. I drive past that old beat-up carpet place, and that fella's still trying to carve out a living with his old beat-up building. I go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for not giving me what I thought I had to have when I thought I had to have it. Come on, some of you been on Facebook recently, and you saw your ex-girlfriend and what she looks like and how she living, and you shouted out, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Come on, somebody. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up, turned me around, how he set my feet on solid ground, it makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, Lord, you're worthy of all of the glory and all of the praise. It makes me want to shout. This is what's happened. We've lost the shout. We lost it. We stopped being the they for other people. But today, as we go to close out this service, it's time to remember our thank you, Jesus moments. But it's also time to be a thank you, Jesus moment for somebody else. We could do like other churches and do a turkey drive and go help families in America with first world problems. We could do that. And our small groups are doing that. We always do that through small group life. But recently, something came to my attention. One of the missionary groups that we support called World Compassion contacted me. They said, Pastor, we're in Mosul, Iraq. The United States, along with the Iraqi military, has liberated Mosul from ISIS control. And we have been inundated with hundreds of women who were kidnapped and been used as sex slaves for the ISIS militant groups. Most of them have been raped hundreds of times. Many of them are impregnated with ISIS babies. Their people group will not take them back, don't want them. These ladies are destroyed. But we're going to build a building to house them. Introduce them to Jesus. And we're going to teach them English. And we're going to help them get a, a livelihood going. And, uh, and we're going to bring life to where there's darkness. And I said, well, we want to be a part of it. I think there's some little Muslim gal in this group that's probably been raped multiple times that said obviously Allah is not God so if there is a God out there you can help me would you please friend I want to be a part of the they for that little girl I want to hear her say one day maybe it won't be till heaven but to hear her say thank you Jesus they put together a little video for us so they could show us I asked them to, guys just show us what's going on so I want to play this two-minute video for a moment just so you can see the faces of these ladies that they've rescued and the building that we would need to finish building. And when we close out today, we're going to take up an offering. Or we're going to send thousands of dollars over there. We're going to be the theys in their thank you Jesus moment. Would you play that footage for them for just a moment? Let them get a picture of what's happening there in Mosul. Hey, Church on the Hill, this is Jason Law with World Compassion. We have an incredible opportunity in front of us that Pastor Adam is opening up to your church. We are opening a safe house for women who were former sex slaves to ISIS soldiers. These ladies come from a people group called the Yazidi people. They're a religious minority that were targeted by ISIS. So when ISIS moved into Iraq back in 2014, they took the old men, they would execute them, the young men they would recruit for their armies, and the women and children they'd literally turn into their slaves. And so now that Mosul has been liberated, Raqqa, Syria is being liberated, these women are coming out and they need help. They are emotionally wrecked. Some of these ladies have shared stories with us. One lady stopped counting after being raped 300 times. Some of these other women have already given birth to babies that were from ISIS soldiers. There's other ladies that we're helping right now who are currently pregnant and trying to decide if they're gonna keep the babies. And so these women have incredible 
emotional trauma that they're going through. And this is going to be a, a home where they're going to go through a six-month program, receive trauma counseling. They're also going to receive skills training. We're going to teach them to sew, uh, to learn some English, to learn computers, to begin restoring their dignity and give them hope for their future. And so we want to invite you guys to be a part of that with us. We still have some construction costs that we have to finish. And there's about $32,000 left to complete the building to a point to get the ladies to move in. And then from there, we're going to be sponsoring these ladies on a monthly basis at $750 a month uh, to support these ladies. Half of that is going to be a salary that they're going to begin to make as they make clothing items, as they help around the house. Uh, we're going to begin restoring their dignity in that way and preparing them to integrate back into society. And the rest of those costs just go for living costs, food, fuel for the generator, electricity, etc. All the things that go into running this home and this program. And so we want to thank you guys so much for standing with us to be a part of this project. tragedy that these women face is simply because where they were born could easily be either one of us. We had the opportunity to be the they in their thank you Jesus story. Would you stand with me all across the room? As you stand, would you just close your eyes with me and bow your head? I want to minister to anyone in this room that would say, Pastor, my life's been tough. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't lived for Jesus it's been difficult but I'm here today and I feel the the conviction of God I feel like it's time it's time to stop running away from Jesus and run to Jesus friend I got such good news for you I don't know what other preachers have told you but the Bible says that the angels wait in expectation that all heaven it kind of draws this picture of all heaven sitting on the edge of their seat that one sinner would turn and come to God. It's not an accident that you're here today. It's not an accident that we're here together. This is a moment for you. God loves you. He's not mad at you. You don't have to work and perform to get his love. He worked and performed. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And that blood that was spilt and that sacrifice of his life what it did was it created an account with your name on it. And forgiveness was placed in that account for every sin you will ever commit. You say, what? I didn't know that. I know. Pastor, how do I access that account? Well, friend, the Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Friend, we're all sinners saved by grace. The difference in me and probably you who are listening is I made Jesus my Lord. I humbled myself and I asked him to come into my life and he forgave me. Friend, today, if you're away from the Lord, don't leave this place like that. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to humiliate you. I surely don't want to spotlight you. But I want to give you an opportunity to have a private decision deep-rooted in your heart made for Jesus today. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, Maybe you used to be and you walked away and you want to come back to the Lord. I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to lead you in a prayer of repentance, a lead, of, lead you into a connection like two friends 
meeting somebody new and me being best friends with Jesus and grabbing you by the hand and bringing you over to my buddy Jesus and my best friend, my Lord, and introducing you to. That's what I want to do today. I want to pray with you. I won't call you forward. I'm not trying to spotlight you. I just want you to have a moment with the Lord where your life changes. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian but you want to become one today, you want Jesus to come into your life or you've been living in sin and you want to repent to the Lord, he's here to forgive you and make him the Lord of your life. With no one looking around, if I'm speaking to you, that's the Lord tugging at your heart and you need to respond. Would you do that by just simply lifting your hand and saying, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready to serve Jesus. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, brother. You can put it back down. Anyone else? Thank you. God bless you. Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I want to serve the Lord. Thank you. All right. I want the Lord to forgive me and wash me clean. Thank you, buddy. I'm ready to serve him. I'm ready for my life to change. I don't want to live like this anymore. It's time. It's time for a change. And I'm ready to make Jesus my Lord. Is there anyone else in this room? Say, pray for me. It's been a number of hands. Give you just the two more seconds, okay? Thank you quickly. Yeah, I saw it. Thank you, sweet love. Amen. Now you put your hands down. Now, this morning, I want to lead you in a prayer prayer of repentance. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray it out loud. And Maybe you didn't lift your hand, but you wanted to. Friend, let me tell you something. He's not hindered by that. You just mean this prayer with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus. Jesus. Say it out loud. Jesus, Jesus. today I admit I'm a sinner. I recognize that you died for me. And today I ask you, forgive me. Wash me clean. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. In front of all of these people, I declare Jesus is my Lord. I ask you now, write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for peace and joy to overtake these who prayed that prayer, meaning it with all of their heart. Lord, those who've been away from you who have now come home, Lord, let them sense how crazy heaven is going. The angels rejoicing. Lord, let them sense, Lord God, forgiveness, even though, yeah, I'm sure they'll still have some tendencies, but Lord, your power is going to help them overcome. And as they start this new journey, this new season, this new phase of who they are, Lord, may they not be scared of as you transform them into something that was dark and dreary and dirty and dangerous. Lord God, you'll turn them into something beautiful and wonderful. Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Now, if you'll keep your head bowed with me today. I feel like it's the role of this church to do something special at Thanksgiving. Special for somebody. There's a lot of good churches out there helping the homeless folks and families that don't have a good Thanksgiving dinner. And that's really powerful. And we do that. Small groups in our church are doing that. But I think that there's... There's hundreds of ladies in a city across the world that are wondering if there's a real God out there. They've never met the Messiah. They don't know Jesus as Lord. And there's a partnership that we have with a group of ministers, missionaries. And they're willing to build a home, bring these ladies into it, and introduce them to Jesus and give them a, give them a hope. They just need a little bit of extra help. With your head bowed and your eye closed, would you ask the Lord how much he would have you give? We're not building church on the hill. We're not, going, we're not asking for money to make the foyer nicer, to put new paintings on the wall. I'm asking you, do you want to be a part of the they? See, there's no miracles without the they. And would you be the miracle for these ISIS ladies who have been kidnapped, these, these city ladies? They were never ISIS husbands were murdered they were single little girls they were 
kidnapped, sold into sex trafficking. They've escaped with their lives, but now they need the life of God. Ask the Lord to give you a thought and figure. And as we go to lead today, we're going to have at our doors, we're going to have our ushers there with our baskets ready to receive. We're also going to have our our little swipe card uh, ability to give there at the tables at our giving stations. Or maybe you could go online and you could give it that way as well. But everything we give is going straight to them. We're not going to take any of it. We're not taking any administration fees or anything like that. It's going straight to help these ladies and to bring about a thank you Jesus moment for women who've never known that there is a Jesus that loves them. Father, I pray that our church, that our church, Lord, not this building, not this meeting, us, us, our kids, Lord, as we're sitting around Thanksgiving table this week, Lord God, we'll be able to have this moment say, guys, there's this, this thing going on in another part of the world. And your uncle and I, we gave towards helping these ladies. It's crazy. Watch this little link. It's on the website of our church. Check this out. Look what they, look what's happened. Lord, I pray that we could be life-giving source to these horrible situations. And that what Satan meant for evil, you could turn it around for good. And we could be the they in the equation. We could be the little people. Not big names, not a big deal, but enough of it to turn the blind eye to the one who can give them miracles. And so, Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you would take our little gift this morning that we send to these missionaries. And I pray you would multiply it like you multiplied the fish and the loaves. Lord, take our few thousands and turn it into tens of thousands. And take that tens of thousands and turn it into hundreds of thousands. And take those little handful of ladies and turn them into hundreds of ladies. To thousands of ladies until we end up, Lord God, with a scenario that we can stomp this whole thing out. Lord, we thank you for your goodness towards us. And as we look at our beautiful children, our precious daughters and sons, we sit around the table in a free country able to argue politics and disagree about what this one tweeted and that one said that we could sit there and say thank you Jesus thank you Jesus for we've not been captured we've not been stolen our lives have not been destroyed for we live in the home of the free the land of the brave thank you Father in Jesus name